Hey, hey, hey! Welcome back to another episode of Let's Take It From The Top. My name is Hallie Mastro Berardino, and I am your trusty host, leading us along the way of this podcast that really is such a passion project for me, so thank you for tuning in. Today, I have an episode for you that is falling under the category of pounding the pavement, and it is with someone who you may think you've heard her name before, and that's because we just spoke to her sister, Emma Hearn, last week, but this week we are chatting with Sophie Hearn. Sophie grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia and attended the Mason Gross School of the Arts at Rutgers University, where she earned her BFA in acting. Some of Sophie's favorite past credits include playing Alice in Life After, which premiered at the Old Globe, as well as being the Rafina Ann cover in Sing Street on Broadway. So when I invited Sophie to be on the podcast, she mentioned wanting to talk about how to mentally and emotionally prepare for a career in this profession. You will see as we dive deeper into this topic that boy, oh boy, is it a loaded one. So loaded that I'm actually having a hard time creating a concise idea to give you a little preview of what to expect. So why don't we just jump on in? I am so excited for you to soak up all the juiciness that this conversation has to offer. So join me in welcoming Sophie Hearn. Hi, Sophie. Hey, how are you? What's going on? I'm doing well. How are you? You know, hanging in there keeping it relatively calm, hopefully, for the next couple of weeks. But yeah, doing okay. Doing good, all things considered, I would say. That's great. Um, well, I'm very excited that you are here. Yes, me too. Yeah. And so Sophie came to me wanting to discuss the topic that we're going to cover today, talking about the life and wellness of an actor and an artist um, at work. And so today we're going to cover the mental and emotional prep that we need in order to sustain a career in the theater and the arts. And kind of touching on, I think we'll both sort of be able to cover parts of our experience where maybe that was lacking a little bit. And so yeah. hopefully we can help the the next generation of, of young ones coming on up uh, to have that be an important part of of the, of the whole process. Yeah, so. I love that. Absolutely. I'm excited to hear your experience with it too, because I feel like, yeah, I, I'm excited how they're, it's going to be paralleled and also like diverge, you know? Yes, definitely. Well, okay. Okay. I think we're ready. Let's take it from the top. So Sophie, why don't you give us a little background, talk about how you decided that you wanted to pursue this as your career and sort of give us a little background on where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Um, music was always around. Um, my mom was a young mom when she raised us. So she had lots of energy, which I feel like perfectly segues into theater and the arts. Um, so just creativity was kind of always around. Um, and I, there was never a moment where I was like, oh, this is going to be my career. It, it, was just kind of like always there. I was always drawn to a just a life in the arts, a life around creativity. Um, I was always drawn to those people who had a weird creative instinct or energy. And so I, it just really flourished from there. And my mom being uh, as supportive and wonderful as she was, she um, was like, hell yeah, let's let's take this thing full-time baby and, uh, really helped to, um, um, encourage us with training and programs and doing so much research. She just, she drove us around everywhere. We did so much. I say we, my sister, Emma and I, we drove to New York all the time, um, for workshops and just more information. And, uh, we really went on that journey together. So again, like it was a seamless blending of like, well, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing this because what I can't imagine my life not doing it. Um, I would say that the point where I probably had more, um, more of a decision of like, well, what do I do? Uh, was musical theater or acting as you know, as you get to college and cause I had grown up doing musical theater, but my heart was really more in the, um, 
acting conservatory realm. That's just kind of the, the training that I had wanted, mm-hmm. um, which is what I ended up pursuing at Rutgers Mason Gross. Um, I did their, uh, their four year, well, three and a half year BFA program. Um, it's everything I could have hoped for and more learned a lot. And now I'm, uh, exclusively working in musical theater, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, uh, also an interesting bridge, but yeah, it's been, it feels like coming back home almost, you know, like working in musical theater where that that's that was my life. That was my groundwork. And then in in college, I got really passionate about um, just the the multifaceted way of storytelling. Um, and so musical theater kind of feels like an extension of that as well. Just like adding another layer of how you can tell a story with dance or with um, singing. I don't really dance, um, but have a great appreciation for that kind of storytelling. Um, but yeah, I would say that I had a really rough transition from school into the real world. And I had a lot of tools and privilege at my disposal. And it just made me go, God damn, if I struggled this much and I had so many avenues to turn down, people to call on, friends to support me. I really can't imagine how anybody else does this. And it really worries me that we're going to miss out on wonderful creators and storytellers and people who deserve a life in the arts because they're not set up properly for it. There, there's, not, um, there's not information. There's not that, that level of wellness that you talked about for how to juggle it all. And it's become one of my passions to speak to um, college age students or like late high school students about how to financially plan for that, how to mentally prepare for that. How should you be using your summers? And there's not one way to do anything, but there's just information that people should be aware of before making these crazy decisions like moving to New York and moving in with three of your best friends in a small apartment as you hustle two and a half, three jobs with open calls and auditioning on the side kind of a thing. Um, and I'm sure you have so much to say on that <laughs> as well, probably more so than I do. Yes. I mean, every, everything that you just said of like little light bulbs of, of moments popping into my head and my own personal experience, I would also consider myself to have been very privileged to have worked over a couple of summers while I was in college. And that led once I graduated to an opportunity almost right out of school where I was in a show over that like Christmas holiday time. But after that, all of a sudden the show was over and I literally sat on my couch for about a week. And my it wasn't until I my dad literally came home one day and was like, oh, what did you do today? And I was like, nothing. Nothing. And and it it was a big old like, whoa, what is going on? And now me looking back at at that time, it was a prime example of not being given the information or not knowing that that was a thing that people go through and not knowing how to handle myself, how to handle the juggling, like you said, of, of working a bunch of different jobs and also trying to audition, really just not having been prepared for that before being in that moment. Yeah. And yeah, like like you said about being passionate about wanting to talk about this, that is uh that's like been a side effect of this podcast, I think, because at first that wasn't what my goal was with the mm. podcast, but now slowly but surely more people like you are wanting to come on and and sort of unveil this this real feeling and this real experience that really most most actors, most artists who are either out of just out of college or who moved to the city or wherever they moved to to pursue this, I think everyone sort of gets stuck in this sort of lull and moment of the reality. I had a friend who was like, anyone that I respect that moves to New York goes through a depression. Like every friend that I respect has gone through something like that. And I had a very similar experience right out of school. So because my program was three and a half years, I graduated in January, showcased Mm -hmm. in January, which has its pros and cons as does everything. But I had actually booked a job 
in the fall. Well, it was, it was, uh, going to the old globe in February through April, but I had gotten that job back in the fall. So I knew going into showcase, going into my final semester that I had a gig set up. It was going to get me my card. It was relatively high profile. And I was like, okay, I've got my first footing. I didn't have any representation. I negotiated that contract on my own. And I say that I probably made the least amount of money of anyone in that show. <laughs> I now understand why uh, agents and managers get their 10%. Um, that's a dig at myself. But uh, I had such a hard time after that show. I had like delayed that moment of like, well, fuck what now? Until uh, April and May. And so I had done that show it was beautiful, amazing, wonderful. I got to work with amazing women. Just so it, it was, it was a dream of a networking pool and a dream of a creativity pool. They were so freaking talented, warm, kind. And I was like, well, holy shit, if I could work with people like this for the rest of my life, I literally, that's my nirvana. Like Mm-hmm. And then got back to New York. I got representation kind of through that show, got back to New York and uh, was ready to hit the ground running. I was like, great. That gave me some momentum. Like uh, that was out in California. I'm back in New York. Even if people ha- didn't hear about the show or don't know about it, some people do that. They're going to want to, you know, meet me and we're going to get to talk and vibe and the first audition that I got called for um, after that was for Dear Evan Hansen for the Olana um, Zoe cover. And my, my reps were like, we're excited about this one. The casting office that was casting it had just cast me in the thing that I did in California. Mm-hmm. So they were, they were like, can't wait to see you. And I again, didn't study musical theater. So I had literally just started singing again in a way in like an eight times a week kind of a thing. Yeah. Had imposter syndrome and anxiety about that because I, I, I love my voice. It's great. It, it does great things. I had not been training it to do musical theater eight times a week kind of a thing. And that can make a voice interesting, but it doesn't make it sustainable. And uh, Dear Evan Hansen wants a very particular sound from their young women that isn't necessarily my bag. You would think that it would be, but when push comes to shove, it's like not quite there. Mm -hmm. So I go in for the audition. It's a crap load of material to prepare. It was the first like big Broadway audition that I had. So I was just scared out of my freaking pants. Mm -hmm. And I went in, started doing the material. And as I'm singing, I can tell that it's okay, but they're not like sold. And then as it, I keep going, I watch them. I watch one of them pull a pen out of his ear and cross my name off of the packet. And I was like, oh, I, I was so embarrassed. I thought that I had bombed it. I... I, I blush very easily. I felt my face get so red. I was like, great. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. <laughs> I walked out. I walked straight to Central Park. Didn't stop. Didn't, didn't look at my phone. Just walk right to Central Park. I, I felt like I had let so many people down. I was like, oh my God, everyone thought that I had this in the bag because the show I just did was like 10 times vocally harder than this. I don't know why I can't do this. And I was sitting on a rock in Central Park <laughs> And got an email from that same casting office to come in for Sing Street. And I had just finished my audition for Dear Van Hansen maybe 35 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like in this shame spiral, this absolute like, oh my God, they were so right. That was a one, that show was a one-time thing that I just did. Like people took a chance on me. They thought I was going to nail this. And I have shown my hand that that's not me. And I had gotten the Sing Street audition 35 minutes later, was like, oh my God, like, thank God. They crossed my name off, but probably gave it to their colleague to call me in for something else. And that, in that 35 minutes of, I wanted to throw up because of the anxiety to, I ended up getting the appointment for the show that in a little further down the line would make my 
Broadway debut, if COVID hadn't happened, whatever, the first Broadway show that I had booked. And I was like, okay, where is this gap? I thought that I had just ruined every contact that I had made in the city mm-hmm. with that audition. And actually, uh, it got me a different opportunity. So where, where in my mind did I not prep for these roads that seem so straight and narrow, but then actually it's, uh, it's actually quite a winding road and it branches off a lot into different opportunities. It's not some ladder you climb. It is, it is a cute little jazz square of (laughs) opportunities, you know? And I think that there's a culture in our industry, this book it culture, right? Mm-hmm. where you see one person get one job and you're like, oh, well, they're good. I'm not even worried about like, they're going to keep getting jobs. Like they've made it now. And the more we perpetuate that, the less attainable these jobs become. Like we all know that for every one job you get, it's like a fucking a hundred auditions that you went to that you didn't get. And while I had I knew that, like I told myself that. And in my head, I was like, oh, got it. So that Dear Van Hansen audition was, is going to be one of the 100 that will lead to the one. And that was actually a win in that room, although it felt like a fucking bomb. <laughs> like, how do we change this narrative? How do we better prepare actors so that they don't want to throw up for one bad audition that they get? And granted, you know, like you have to find your sea legs. It's not going to happen on the first time. But I was right. like, damn, I, I had a credit under my belt. This office had confidence in me and I still felt like I was walking into my death and leaving with, you know, like a bounty on my head. Like this girl, we <laughs> thought that she was something. And I, I, uh, I try to tell that story as, to as many young people as I can because it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's not, it shouldn't be, but it is. And it shows how unpredictable this is, how we talk ourselves into a frenzy, and it's not always reality. And I think that we, that uh, I was scared to reach out to my community because I had just gotten back from this job. Um, I had some people in my class that I hadn't spoken to in a while that I heard later didn't want to reach out to me because it was difficult for them to talk to somebody who had some level of success immediately which I totally understand. If First of all, you have to protect yourself always. So if that means that you can't have someone in your circle in your life right now because you can't treat that energy with positivity, okay, you know, like put yourself first. But I was like, God damn, if only they knew the, the mayhem that was going on in my mind, the anxiety that I had, the imposter syndrome that surrounds it all, like maybe we would have freaking talked and there wouldn't be this weird tension where my community feels like, like I am not interested in talking to them or, or, or we can no longer relate to each other. And it, uh, it really, uh, it frustrated me a lot because after school, you know, being in a conservatory, conservatory or any kind of arts program, you have this built-in community. Like Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about making friends. I mean, you do, but like you have people that you're going to see every day. You're not like, well, how am I going to meet people? Like they're given to you. Yep. And then you get to New York and uh, there are so many caveats and flags that are added to those relationships and social interactions. And you feel like you've got nobody and your struggle needs to be isolated because you're not trying to influence anybody else. And you have appearances to keep up. You know what I mean? Like if people think that you're this thing and then you're not, how embarrassing is that? But it's the long game. You know what I mean? Which we could talk about later. But (laughs) did you struggle with that lack of community after school as well? Yes, I definitely. Well, it's funny. Even recently, I've been talking to a couple different people and I realized that there's this idea in my head of like what you said, the idea of like booking, like my friends who have already done the things that like I am dreaming of achieving, I put a distance between myself and those other people. When meanwhile, at like the root of everything, we are just people and then we are artists. And like you said, everyone is feeling the same way. So 
I've been working just very recently about being able to sort of like get myself on a level playing field and instead of seeing people as being like higher up than me or more successful than me, talking to those people to be like, how did you get there? And then all of a sudden realizing that we have way more in common than we think, right? And especially when I graduated from school, it's, so I live in Westchester, New York. So I was home and would commute in and out of the city for auditions and things like that. And I can remember, so I was away for the summer. I had had a few friends who were here already. And I had one friend in particular, Susie Weisberg. And I reached out to Susie and was like, how does this even work? Like, where do I go? Who, like, how do I sign up to go to this audition? And that for me, right out of school, I can remember complaining to anyone who would listen, being like, how do they not teach us this? And I don't know about, about your program, but my program, we did not learn anything about an EPA, ECC, who, who knew Ooh. what that meant? And then coming in even as non-union, what like, how does an open call work? I'm at that point, I was EMC. Okay, what does that mean? When can that help me? When does that not matter at all? And though, who do you ask those questions to? And who really knows the answer? Uh, there was a whole lot of like spiraling down the rabbit hole of, like you said, that imposter syndrome of feeling like, who the heck am I? who like not even knowing who to go to who to reach and out to. who actually does this and succeeds at it like once you see the path in front of you you're like who the fuck is winning at this game because i yep. i can't imagine a world in which this works out for me and i also find it's funny that you bring up like epas eccs that kind of a thing like in in the uh acting conservatory world there's a big stress on film and TV. And that's been a very difficult place for me to have any breakthrough, obviously. So I don't have like much information about it, but I know that a lot of my peers going to EPAs and ECCs, like they, they could really only go to EPAs if it was a theater gig, if it was an acting gig. A lot of them don't care to be in musical theater, don't have a skill set to be in musical theater. Um, and I don't say that in a negative way. I say because uh, musical theater takes some mother effing skill. Anyway, I think that there's this gatekeeping in like, if you don't know what an EPA or an ECC is, like New York will weed you out anyway. But that's just like some 101 information that people should know, like right. should know, and sh but should be taught. You know what I mean? Like you shouldn't have to search for those answers. You sh th those, those things shouldn't be so unattainable that they that they preclude somebody from starting along this path and journey. Um, yeah, I, I think the hustle and grind of New York is um, misadvertised because you have to know where to put your energy and your efforts. And if you do well in EPAs and ECCs, then hell yeah, do it. Get your bag. That's great. But if you've got three jobs that you're trying to juggle so that you can stay in the city, and EPAs and ECCs, you know, they, they, they largely haven't yielded much for you, then I understand that you'd have to conserve your energy and focus on making rent rather than, you know, waking up at an ungodly hour. Mm -hmm. and, and in New York, it is deciding between taking that shift or going to an open call. It, it literally is that. And yeah. especially, I mean, this gets into the grind stuff, which is like, how do you juggle jobs and audition? The balance that I found with it, um, I loved my side jobs. I loved them. I loved them. I loved them. It took me a while to find them. And on that journey came depression and isolation. Like after that Dear Evan Hansen audition, which was in the beginning of the summer of 2019, I then had a slew uh, of, of auditions where I just wasn't performing at maximum capacity. I didn't feel, or maybe I was, but I just didn't, I didn't get the feedback. Like the first big audition that I had was for that show out in California. It was for Life After. And I happened to get it because it happened to be right for me. I happened to be right for it. So my gauge of like, um, of input output of like auditions gone to jobs booked was skewed. 
And um, not that I was like, oh, I'm going to book every job I get. I was just like, oh, the other shoe hasn't fallen yet. And that's going to hurt when it does. And then when that shoe started to fall in the summer, when I got back from California, I was, you know, settling into New York, trying to find my footing. I floundered and um, or I perceived it as floundering. You know what I mean? Yep. And went into a deep depression, knew that I needed to find side jobs. I, uh, I catered on the side, um, which is like shift based. So you get an, an email that gets sent out and the first, however many people to respond, get the gig, but you know, those jobs are anywhere from seven hours straight to 13 hours straight. And you can make a good portion of your rent money in one gig. But if you're working from 1 PM to 3 AM, uh, somewhere in at some hotel in Queens where the trains after that aren't running on normal hours. That's, you have to spend the whole day recovering from that. There's, I found it a very unsustainable, uh, job and it, it pulled so much energy out of me. And so I was super depressed. And then, um, I had kind of a guardian angel, uh, who ran this program called the performing arts project where, so if anyone is listening to this and you're between the ages of 14 to 25, look up this mother effing program. It has saved my life more times than I really care to count. Started me on this more, uh, uh, holistic path of a, a career in the arts, but also a life in the arts. What does it mean to want those things as opposed to just wanting acclaim, fame, money, that never drew me to anything. I find that relatively uh, uh, uninteresting and non-compelling. I don't really care about that. I find art really beautiful and compelling and theater so compelling. And uh, Performing Arts Project gave me a community of like-minded peers in that way. I would recommend it to anybody. So I was in New York, depressed, hustling, catering a little bit when I could find shifts. And then uh, this mentor from this program reached out to me and was like, hey, this is so random, but I, I have a spot that's open. Would you want to come back as like a fellow um, and like just spend three weeks with us in creating stuff and, you know, find that your connection to uh, devised work and creativity again after college. Um, and I like broke down because I was like, damn, how did he know that I needed that and needed this? So I ended up going there for three weeks, which pulled me out of my funk. I felt useful, pulled me out of my funk. It wasn't a funk. It was, it was a depression. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt useful. I was connecting with community. I realized that I actually had skills and learned things and could pass them on to people. Um, kids who were going into college and or viewing the audition process is like, I just hope I get into one of the top schools. And it's like, my babe, it's so not about that. It's yeah. about finding somewhere that nourishes you. Like, does it work for you? Um, which I think that when we're, when we're young artists, we are scared to ask that question. Does this work for me? We don't even know that question. We don't even theater is a thing that's taught, not experienced. It's a thing that you do, not that you feel. Mm. Um, and, uh, I think that the performing arts project really helped me to change that rhetoric in my life. Um, this is such a plug for them. I'm sorry, but they've been such a huge part of my, um, my career, um, and, uh, journey. Um, I came back from there and was like, okay, I had so many people that were like, I believe in you. And even though I was, I didn't have much to show for my time in New York at that point, I was like, okay, all right. So I found two side jobs that I loved. They were part-time jobs. If you have two part-time jobs, that does equal one full-time job. And I knew (laughs) that going into it, but I did it because if you're a part-time commitment at one job, they expect a part-time employee. Um, I worked at a Pilates studio because that felt like meditation to me. It, it helped my body uh, process all this anxiety and adrenaline that was constantly coursing through me um, into a very productive energy and centering energy. And then I worked retail. I worked at a men's boutique 
And I loved my coworkers. I loved the hotel. I love clothes. It, it, they were jobs that I, uh, that I really loved and not that were going to deter me from pursuing what I came to New York to pursue. Um, but that, that never worries me. Like I've, I feel that I've been called to a life in the arts. So anything else that I do is in service of that. And then I was babysitting on the side. I still had some catering stuff. I just had a lot of things going and was auditioning when I could, when they came up, which wasn't very often. Um, I also feel that's kind of a, a misnomer in our industry as well. It's like people auditioning all the time. And I'm, you know, right now that you can have, you can have booked a job on Broadway and have had less than 20 auditions in the city in like a year's worth of time. Like for me, that's how often they were coming around, but there were some real dry spells um, for a multitude of reasons because I wasn't right for everything. Um, I wasn't available all the time for everything. Um, and I didn't get a lot of the things that I went in for. And I wish that somebody had told me that earlier that like, hey, it's not because you're bad that you're not getting a lot of auditions. Like this industry is kooky. And like some people have five a week and they want to die. How could you possibly prepare for five auditions a week and work your jobs? Like that's not heaven either. I wouldn't want five in a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. this idea that somebody always has a better right. Well, I wish I had less so that I could find my footing. Well, I wish I had more so that I had more opportunities. Like, I just wish that we, we talked more about like, well, how are, you, how are you doing this week in spite of your lack of auditions? Or how, how are you doing this week because of all of these auditions? Like, right. are you finding time for yourself? Yeah, um, like not measuring yourself based on how many auditions you get, or if you get a call back or that kind of, if you go to class even, right? Like if you go and take a class, like not measuring yourself based on that, but being able to check in aside from all of those things. Exactly. And you mentioned class, like, God, it took me a while to work up the courage to uh, register for a class. And I ended up taking an improv class, um, which also speaks to one of the things that I'm passionate about is like, okay, showcase didn't go well for me out of college. What do I do? Um, or, Hey, my college didn't have a showcase. What do I do? Um, all the jobs that I've gotten, all the opportunities that I've gotten did not come from my showcase. I got a few contacts from showcase, which have been so kind and helpful. And I'm so grateful for them, but I could count on three fingers, maybe the, the good things that came from showcase for me. Um, and uh, I was able to get a job on Broadway within a year of graduating. You know what I mean? It's yep. not all to do about showcase. And I'm not saying that the Broadway is the end all be all at all. I'm saying you can, there, there is a way to do it. Um, yeah. And I do not think that school sets you up for that. I think they try to say like, listen, guys, showcase is not everything. Like, don't put all of your eggs in that showcase basket. But they, they don't give you any tools for how to actually diversify yeah. your energy in that way and, and where all of your contacts can come from, how casting offices, casting directors, even one intern from a casting office that comes that likes you, okay, if they do well there, they'll get promoted. They, you know, it, it's a relationship. They might suggest you for they may only get one suggestion every month for something, but maybe it'll be you. Like, you know, it doesn't all have to be big, bright, shiny banners of like, you're amazing. This is the job for you. It can be small, like, hey, I think your work is great. I think you're cool. Like, hope to see you again soon, kind of a thing. Right. Um, and we have to normalize that kind of networking as opposed to like the gross, like, here's my car, blah, 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 which is just difficult. And not that that's gross. Of course, of course, advocate for yourself, but it might feel like a gross car salesman kind of a thing. Yes. And it shouldn't, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, how to, how to normalize that, that kind of a conversation and make connections with theaters, be informed about the work that small New York theaters are doing, because there are a lot of theaters in New York that want to help recent graduates, young artists. They, they have spent so much money and uh, donor funds to start these, um, these ground up 
programs for new graduates, young artists, fresh talent, that kind of a thing, mm -hmm. seek them out, look, look into them. You know what I mean? Even if you don't end up getting one of them, the process of doing that will inform so much of how you advocate for yourself and how worthy you are of those opportunities when they come around. I have multiple friends who are popping off right now in their own ways because they freaking went down a tunnel online of like, what are, what are programs for young new artists in the city? Like that kind of a thing. And through all of that research and work and classes and auditing, that kind of stuff. One of my friends is, um, uh, has written two plays, is one of the emerging playwrights at The Public, um, just got literary representation and is wow. interviewing for writer's rooms. All within, you know, that all happened within a year of her applying herself to it. And I'm not saying that it all happens within a year or it doesn't happen at all, but um, I see a lot of people get scared away by not getting any calls out of showcase and being like, well, there goes my shot. Mm -hmm. um, you can take the same uh, choreographer's dance class. I'm sure you have insight on this more so than I do, but I've got a friend who just took the same dance class all the time, became close with the teacher. The teacher started to uh, choreograph for shows. And then as the choreographer made his way up, so did my friend. And he's now the assistant on a bunch of things. You know what I mean? Like, yep. and then you meet more people that you can make more stuff with. It's, it's, uh, it's not a ladder. It is a jazz square, you know? <laughs> yeah. I love that idea. And I think too, Sophie, it's interesting. This, this has popped up a couple of times over what you've been saying. The idea of like just showing up, right? Not letting, even if you have fear of signing up for a class or like, or of going to a certain audition because you don't know if you're right, but like just show up and show up prepared and as ready as you can be and then it's also once you do whatever it is class or whatever to like let go of the expectations that you have of i'm gonna like i need this job or oh i can i can introduce myself to so and so and then they'll be able to connect like just sort of letting those things go and showing up and experiencing whatever it is that you are going to experience and still advocating for yourself and and introducing yourself to those people that you want to work with or that you want to stay in connection with but not expecting anything because a lot of the time the thing that you expect it's like you get the opposite and even if the opposite in that moment feels like icky or <laughs> bad or not good and just like even upsetting down the line you'll be like oh okay so that didn't happen because this was coming later and if i had tried to do that it wouldn't have worked or it, it wasn't the right time so it, it is a balance of like showing up and releasing your expectations because in order to be open to the things that are meant for us we can't expect anything <laughs> That you are exactly right. That phrase is literally one that I use to keep myself whole. There have been a bunch of auditions that have come by where I'm like, oh, fuck, I want that. Like, I could see myself doing that. Anything that comes across my inbox, I immediately envision myself doing it, being excellent, like, you know, uh, uh, peaking, right? At, for this thing which I think is a helpful energy of, of, I deserve this, I'm worthy of this, I can do this kind of a thing, which you, sh you should bring to everything, everything. Um, and then ultimately, when it doesn't pan out, when I don't get it, because it went to the person who actually was perfect for it, was actually right for it, I and myself, what's meant for me won't pass me, right? Because mm -hmm. there, I, I've already, things have already come to me that were meant for me felt changed because of those things. And so why would I be upset that something didn't land on me uh, when I know that something else will come along that, that will? If, 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 it, if I don't get it, it was never mine to have, you know what I mean? So it's not like, oh, I lost it, blah, blah, blah. It, you have to leave this space for the thing that will change you, that is yours, that is meant for you. 
And this goes into this is the exact conversation I had with myself when I was when I had found my side jobs in New York. I was auditioning sometimes um, when they came along. I had reconnected with my community and uh, with honesty and uh, like um, love. And uh, I try not to think that some people came back into my life because I saw that I wasn't working and it, it made me more relatable. Um, I try not to think that way. I don't think that that's at all what it was. Um, again, you know, people, you have to put yourself first. If you could only talk to somebody after a certain amount of time, I would ask yourself why you feel the need to uh, only commiserate in that kind of negativity. Um, you know, instead try to put forth the positive. Um, but I, I hear you on your journey. I see you. I appreciate you. Mm -hmm. um, but I felt like there were auditions that were coming my way that I was like, ah, dang it. Like, am I just not setting myself up for success? Like what's meant for me won't pass me. I know, but I feel like I'm not leaving room for the thing that's meant for me. Uh, these are all the passing things. And so in, it was the end of 2019, I had given my notice at one of my jobs. I was like, you know what? I, uh, I need to make the universe does not give me the opportunities that I'm asking for, or that I think that I'm so worthy of. If, and unless I make some space for it, I need to clear out the, the, the way, uh, and devote that energy to what, what my life's purpose is. And I trust the universe will, um, guide me in that way. doesn't mean that they're going to validate me with a million jobs, but they're, they're going to, um, they're going to hear my energy, validate me in my journey. And th that feels like the right thing. It feels like I'm neglecting something. So I put my notice in, uh, said that, you know, starting January 1st, I was just going to have the one job so that I had more time for auditioning um, and more energy for it as well. And then two days after my last shift at the job that I gave my notice at, I had gotten the appointment for Sing Street um, for the swing. I had originally gone in over the summer during the Dear Van Hansen debacle. Mm -hmm. um, I had gone in for... They originally called me in for the girlfriend role for Rafina, but then before I before I got the chance to audition, um, they had cast her out of um, the UK. Um, and now knowing who they cast, that was perfect. She is perfect for that. That was never mine. She was <laughs> perfect for it. And uh, so they were like, "Will you come in for the sister?" This is back in June, and I was like, mm, "Totally, of course." I, I know that that's not my energy. I, I think I, I literally was like, I think I'm somewhere in the middle of them. I don't think I'm like, clearly, I'm not like super clear as the girlfriend. I'm not super clear as the sister. Like, I, I think they're going to be a bit confused, but you know what? I'm going to go in and do good work anyway. Mm -hmm. Director, she's my dream director of like, just the whole team was a dream. I was like, of course I'm going to come in. So I go in, I spend a while in the, in the audition room, but I, I just know that it's not like, it's not clicking, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I, we, she noted me like three times in the sides and I was like, God dang it. Like, I just know that this is not what it is. Walked out, felt like it was a, um, like I blown it again. I was like, great. So this office who crossed my name off in one audition, but sent me another opportunity and I blew it again. Like, perfect. Uh, they are never going to bring me in for anything else luck on uh good luck on your career so um in january then fast forward to 2020 i got the appointment for sing street and um i was randomly filming another self-tape which were few and far between but randomly i was filming a different self-tape with my friend and i looked at her and i was like i swear to god i'm getting this job and i it wasn't even like a threat to myself i i knew i just had this energy of first of all, this room doesn't come around twice. Like I'm not going to get it. When do you get a second shot at that kind of a room? And, um, I've prepared for this. The universe has prepared me for this. I have shifted things to prepare for this and I'm not going to fuck it up. So I, <laughs> I practiced for a very, very long time, went in, just did my absolute best at the audition because I allowed myself to do that. Um, and 
I ended up being the perfect down the middle split of the swing. I had the skills of both parts. I had the energy of both parts. I, I was meant for that swing track. That was my track. It was not the, the Rafina or Anne. It was both, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, well, I think that swings, there are a lot of um, ways in which school and nobody could prepare you for swinghood, for swingdom. Nobody <laughs> could. Um, but uh, but I, I, I think it feels like in order to want big things for yourself, um, I, I don't know, just do a lot of like, because Sing Street is a young show, it's a kid show. It's one of those Dear Evan Hansen's that has, you know, um, younger actors in it. I see younger actors aspiring to those shows, right? Mm-hmm. And, and wanting to be the lead, wanting to be the Zoe, wanting to be, wanting to be the headliner, right? And not understanding necessarily uh, the, the, the intricacies of being in a company like that, of being in a young company of, of it's not about you, it's about everybody, right? Um, I, had a, I had a teacher in school that would say, I would rather be in an outstanding play than stand out in a play. And I don't always feel that energy from the youth. I feel like a lot of people would, and, and our own contemporaries, our own peers, of course, everyone wants to stand out. Um, and I think swingdom is the perfect, I would rather be in an outstanding play. I would rather be the thing that makes the show go on, that, you know, is the, is the pair of the missing stock of that pair. You know what I mean? That like means you could put your shoes on that kind of a thing. (laughs) Um, and I, and I, I, I don't think that anybody sets you up for that kind of energy either of, um, uh, and I don't know much about swinghood either because I only got to do it for three weeks. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I only got to do it in the rehearsal room, not in, not on stage yet. But I think I think that's less in and of itself, as well of, um, yeah, just how to how to per, how to move things around for those opportunities and how to be welcoming of them, um, and know that you're deserving of them regardless of your journey, regardless of how hard it is, um, regardless of how your community makes you feel at times. Um, once I stopped leading from insecurity and started leading from what's meant for me won't pass me. Like, here's the space for the things that are meant for me. Um, I, I felt my world literally change. Um, I also had a lot of other uh, New Year's resolutions for 2020. 2020 was my bitch. It started out <laughs> as my absolute, I was killing the game. Um, especially because I had come out of a depression. I had set myself up for success and I felt the immediate rewards of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the immediate pains of not having that, um, which brings us to a year ago, which sounds so weird. Yeah. But ultimately, a year ago is still today. It's it's the same. It's the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sophie, I feel like we could do another three episodes. I know. Talking about all of this. But I have to thank you for being like so generous and uh just really eloquent in all of the things that we hit i think anyone listening whether you have been in the business for how many of her years or if you're in college or thinking about going to college these are all like important things that like you said we don't talk about all the time but if this episode can start to open the door and open the conversations for that i think that we we have done our job. And yes. I'm so grateful that you did it, that you were here with me today and that we got to do that together. So yes, me too. Thank you so much. It's all a practice. Practice makes permanent, right? You have to practice it all of it. So reminding yes. myself of those things is, and especially in this time is really important too. So thank you for, thank you for this uh, platform and opportunity. I really appreciate it. Yes, of course. Thanks, Sophie. Wow, everybody. We have made it to the end of such a juicy, jam-packed episode. I cannot thank Sophie Hearn enough for joining us today and spilling all of that wisdom. Wow, Sophie, like I said, was so generous to offer her experiences and what she has learned along the way and 
boy, oh boy, I am so excited to see where her future takes her because she's got the stuff, people. And if you want to engage with Sophie some more, her social media can be found in the show notes of the episode today, along with links to my social media, the Let's Take It From The Top social media, as well as the Let's Take It From The Top email, where please feel free to let me know what you liked, what you want to see more of. I want to hear from you. A quick sidebar, I highly recommend you listen to Sophie's original music, which can be found on Spotify, some of her covers that she's done on her Instagram, and one particular song that Sophie got to sing in the show Life After that she talked a bit about that she got to do in California is written by Britta Johnson and this song poetry is on YouTube and Britta's music is gorgeous and Sophie singing Britta's music is even more gorgeous. I am obsessed with the song and I am sharing it with you. Let's take it from the top listeners because it has moved me and inspired me in ways that I can't even describe. So go and listen to poetry written by Britta Johnson and performed by Sophie Hearn on YouTube. I will even put a link to that in the show notes because, ooh, it's so good. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you learned so much and that you are inspired to step out into the real world and to pursue your dreams and to be your own best advocate and to fight for what you want and to make space for it all to happen because you've got it inside you. It's going to happen, people. It's going to happen. I'm so excited for the future. We are going to be chatting more about the college experience, summer stock, all of the above. I just can't believe how the podcast has evolved and is continuing to evolve and I can't wait for you to join me on the journey until next time thank you so much for spending some time with me today another big thank you to Sophie Hearn and I will see you next time on let's take it from the top